yak babies, sex, presidents, and sometimes books. Welcome to Yak Babies, the only podcast on the internet sponsored by Anime Body Pillows. Come on, don't judge. Slow that down. My name is your personal pals, Dave. Morning, boys. Yes, morning, of course. And we have Brick. Hello. Hi. Good to see all of you. Today on the podcast, we're talking about short stories, but not any short stories. We're not talking our good friend Stuart Dibbick over here. Uh, we're going back in time to those reading anthologies you got when you were in middle school, high school, English classes that were full of short stories that are sort of used as the training wheels to literary criticism, essentially, you know, learning to sort of like think critically and and decipher a text and which ones imprinted on us and which ones maybe didn't. This is a topic close to my heart because I remember my ninth grade textbook from English. I don't remember the book itself, but it had four four or five stories that we read that I have never forgotten. Uh, That made a visceral imprint on me and, and still, you know, affect me to this day. And they're, you know, durable references that most people understand because most people have read these stories too, just like absolute classics. And the first one that I want to talk about is The Scarlet Ibis. Did either of you two read The Scarlet Ibis? Not, Dave and I were talking while you were defecating. Uh, not oh, nice. as a kid, but uh, I've read it as a teacher. So I, I admit I, I only remembered the broad strokes. Right. Dave, did you ever yeah, read Scarlet I have- Ibis? No, I never, if I had heard of it, it escaped my brain until you mentioned it in the last episode. Right. It's a, uh, a short story by a writer named James Hurst, who, as far as I can tell, didn't do much uh, else besides that. He wrote some plays and some short stories, but the Scarlet Ibis is the only thing that ever, sorry, pardon me, gained any notoriety. It won the Atlantic First Award because it was published in the Atlantic Magazine in 1960 and is widely anthologized. It's a story about a boy who, his younger brother, whose name is Doodle, is uh, disabled. He sort of has like a, a disability, and the narrator, or the, the main character boy, resents it. He resents Doodle's sort of like infirmness, and he, you know, wants him to grow up and be stronger, to have someone to play with, and he sort of like pushes Doodle to to grow and ends up succeeding doodle does sort of like get a bit more autonomy i guess and sort of learns to stand up for himself and you know that kind of thing but then at the end this is spoilers for scarlet ibis sorry folks there's a storm and because they're they're playing somewhere it's i think it's set in the south i believe maybe florida possibly there there's a storm comes and doodle is caught in a stream and tries to get his brother to help him but the brother is so angry that he wants to get home and he you know, it says like, you have to figure it out for yourself and like resents that Doodle wants his help. So he leaves Doodle thinking that he'll figure it out. And then Doodle, spoiler alert, fucking dies. And he, you know, experiences the consequences of his resentment and selfishness. And the title comes from at some point, there's a, a storm had blown through and they discover an Ibis, a scarlet Ibis in the garden. And it's injured, has a broken leg. And the dad, I think, talks about it in terms of like, this is, you know, a beautiful but frail thing and how sort of vulnerable and sad the Ibis is because it's, you know, not going to live for very long and it's sort of been blown off course. And it's obviously, a, you know, standard for Doodle. The sort of lesson you learn from reading that one as a kid is, you know, 
symbolism, I suppose. But also empathy, and my god, what a sad story. Just, uh, man, Scarlet Ibis fucked me up. So that's definitely a classic, and I will never forget the Scarlet Ibis for those reasons. What about you guys? Do you have any sort of standout of those early short stories you read that, that made an impact on you or that you uh, loved or hated? Even there's, you know, a variety of experiences here. I got, I got a bunch. Yes. Good. The Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Yeah. Good I, one. Ambrose Beers. Ambrose Beers, which I remembered quite well, kind of sticking with me as a kid. And then I actually, as a, back when I was a teacher, I, I taught it a lot. I would pair it with the Twilight Zone episode, which is very well done. Yeah. Uh, of that. It's a nice example it's... of a storytelling device that I think has since become very cliche and maybe it was cliche then and it's just well done so it doesn't matter i don't i don't know but yeah it's a you know it's not a very long story it's very exciting and then it's got a real twist uh at the end that uh it hits you pretty good on the page and it also you know it, it hits you pretty viscerally on the on the twilight zone adaptation uh, with the hang in there yeah that episode is a good one because it's actually it wasn't made by the twilight zone it was a short a french yeah. short film mm-hmm. uh that they then bought the rights for to broadcast because it yeah. fits so well into the twilight zone structure dave do you know the occurrence at owl creek bridge no great great story let's go yeah. and this is spoil it yeah so it's about this guy uh who it's, it's set during the civil war and he's a southerner maybe a spy uh who has been caught in union territory so they you know there's a bunch of they walk him to a bridge and they hang him on the bridge when they hang him, the rope snaps, he falls into the water. And then the story kind of tells the tells of his escape, how he swims ashore. Uh, you know, the bullets are kind of hitting the water and missing him. He runs through the woods. He, he runs back to Tennessee or where the hell he's, where the hell he's from. He sees his wife. Um, he remembers everything he loves about her and all these things. Uh, and then right as he's about to make contact with his wife, uh, he dies because he was being hanged. So yeah, whole, it was like the his whole, last whole, thought before dying. The whole dying. thing was his last, mm. like, the life flashing before his eyes or whatever. Yeah, it's great. Good, it's very good fun story. twist. Yeah. Yeah. What you don't see coming, uh, we talked about plot twists in a recent episode. That's like, we forgot, but then that's a great example of that structure that works really well. Mm. Is Ambrose Beers the writer who disappeared in, like, the Mexican desert and yes. never found out? Wrote the Devil's Dictionary. Yeah. A real sassy motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, what about you? You know, the only, and I'm sure as you guys mentioned stories, I'll remember having read them in high school. And I remember more from college for sure. But the only, when I try to come up with stories I read in high school, the only thing that comes to mind is the serial life of Walter Mitty. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Great one. Which I really enjoyed and suspect that I haven't read since. Nor did I see the movie. I heard it was kind of a pile of shit. I mean, it had Ben Stiller in it. There are a couple. Yeah. The Ben Stiller one is not good. Although, there's a person, an old roommate of mine was obsessed with it, and that tells you something. But there's one from the 40s, 50s with Danny Kay, I believe, that is very good uh, and very fun. Danny fucking Kay. I think so. I'm going to confirm that. Yeah. So, and I uh, barely so what, remember anything from it, but um, I know I liked it at the time. I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing to do. Yeah, it's a good, like, you know, sort of fantasy, but also, like, kind of like, you know, the almost cliched now, like, cranky home life, right? He's escaping from his, like, horrible existence and the wife who hates him another by going into fantasy, right? Yeah. Yeah, Danny Kate, 1947. That, that movie is really fun. It's a really good one. James Thurber is the writer of Walter Minnie. Similar to 
occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge and their, I think, influential story sort of kind of like defined in some ways or at least helped shape a, a sort of plot or genre convention that has, I think, been exploited by other writers less successfully quite a bit since. But yeah, a, a great one. And a fun one for kids to read, too. You know, it's a harmless story. Well, I guess maybe a little bit harmful. There's some stereotyping in there uh, and some latent misogyny, probably. But still a pretty good story. What is it? Sorry. I was saying there's probably some latent misogyny there uh, in Walter Mitty. No, what's Mitty. the story? Oh, in Walter Mitty. Okay, yeah, yeah. Just the, you know, haired and wife character trope, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was saying mostly mostly a harmless story. Fun, uh, as opposed to upsetting. Another one that I think of and use as a reference all the time is, and I'm going to mispronounce it probably. I'm not sure actually how to pronounce it. The Cask of Amontillado or Amontillado. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what the pronunciation is by Edgar Allan Poe. Amontillado. Okay, great. Awesome story. Did you guys read this? Do you have a familiarity with it? Yeah, it's great. It's one of my favorites. I, I'm actually kind of surprised I didn't think of Poe when I made my list because there's three or four of his stories that I read in high school and, and really hit me. Uh, this being one of them and then the Telltale Heart and probably the Black Cat. Black Cat, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah Poe's full of that kind of stuff, right? I think Poe's in their good, like, I don't, I keep saying entry level, but it's not, I don't mean in the pejorative way, but just like it's a good, like, getting some exposure to some things that makes writing fun right you know sort of po does this stuff really well but it's also pretty accessible amontillado i think is my favorite because it's not a twist so much as just like the mounting dread pays off really effectively right so again just to, we're spoiling the, all these stories montressor and the, i can't remember the name of the other guy they're friends but sort of like montressor secretly hates him uh montressor is a mason he feels slighted by fortunato is the name of the other guy and so like lures him into the catacombs beneath Paris with this promise that he's got this cask of Amontillado wine and he wants him to go try it out because he's like the expert on wine. So he's kind of flattering him as they go along. And as they walk through the catacombs and get closer to it, you sort of, in the narration, learn more about why Montressor is such a vindictive prick and, and what he wants to do. So he eventually, as Fortunato is getting drunker, it's, I think it's... um takes place right before lent right it's like the like like carnival but not in it's in, mm. what, they, what they call it in paris and so they get to this place in the catacombs and he shackles him in the wall and starts building a little room around him which is really great you think about it like a very uncinematic way to kill someone but in a text it works really well it's like the idea is like slowly bricking this guy up in this wall and then like that like the last lines he says like for the love of god montressor montressor says yes for the love of god and it's great it's so good Chilling, fun, yeah, a good one. Did Poe write the, pen, uh, the pendulum, or is that someone else? Yes, he did. Yeah. That's a similar story mm-hmm. where it's like this kind of looming dread. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Poe does that really well. Brick, let's hear some more from you. Uh, Sound of Thunder by Ray Bradbury. Mm. Is that short? I thought it was a novel. I guess you're right. It's a short story. Yeah. Yeah, it's a well, maybe yeah. it's both. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I read the short story. No, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah. About these people that have a time machine company and they. Uh, take people back in time to hunt dinosaurs, but they've carefully like pre-done whatever the scene, so they shoot a dinosaur like three seconds before it's gonna die anyway, or whatever. And then a dude steps—he didn't follow the rules. He steps off the path and kills a butterfly, I think, or some kind of bug. And then they go back, and uh, the world's changed, and uh, Trump is president. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, another premise that has been adapted into yeah. a thousand different cartoons. Like, there's there's movies made of it for sure. There's two or one the direct adaptation that's awful, uh, like a Z grade action movie, and then one 
the butterfly effect with Ashton Kutcher that was a a C grade horror movie, I guess. All pretty Today, bad. It's also been made into a really crappy video game. Did I make you play it last time you were here? No, but we should do it oh, next time. I will, I will save that for you. <laughs> Let's do it. There is, however, a great Simpsons episode about it. One of the Treehouse of Horror, like the Halloween specials. They have one where Homer creates a time machine to go back to get. Oh, he tries to fix the toaster and then goes back in time and he like kills a dinosaur and goes back and things happen. It's it's great. Like one of the funniest mm-hmm. for sure. Good one, definitely. Dave, any more? Yeah, I forgot that just a couple episodes we talked about Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, and that's another one I remember reading yep. from high yeah. school. Totally. Uh, did you like it when you read it? Feels like yes, and I, I think I would still like it. I think I've read it a time or two since then, maybe. Right. Or I'm just remembering that first time. But yeah, uh, I liked it. Another example of a story with a twist. Yes, definitely. Twilight zone in that same sort of sense, right? Um, might, but not quite. Was there a Twilight Zone episode of that story? I wouldn't be surprised. I don't. Uh, yeah, you might be right. If not a direct adaptation, certainly there are some that are very similar. Yeah. Where a community has some sort of strange ritual that the person, the outsider, right. has to be exposed to. You know, Children of the Corn feels like a lottery ripoff in some ways, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great story. And again, it's been adapted. It's been parodied and and satirized and so many that the, the theme of a lot of these stories we're seeing is that they are in your consciousness or in like the, the cultural consciousness probably because they're still widely anthologized and because you read them when you're in eighth and ninth grade i think a lot of people have you know they're impressionable at that time and these stories you know are they have a, a big impact uh because they're either shocking or they're surprising it's the first time you've read a twist ending like that before or the first time you confronted you know death like that yeah they just seem to like to be sort of locked into a certain kind of of you know creators or writers mindset i can't do this segment without talking about the lady of the tiger by mm. let's see uh, frank stockton you guys read the lady of the tiger yep no. yes oh my god great story from that same anthology I'm going to get the details a little bit wrong, probably. This is as best as I can parse it. But, like, there's a a guy who wants to marry a princess, essentially. And the king, you know, makes him... He has to to prove his worth. And through, you know, various machinations, he's put in this arena, essentially. And has to choose between two doors. And behind one door is the princess. And behind one door is the uh, man-eating tiger that will kill him. And it's like, if he's worthy enough that he can open the door with the princess, if he's not, then he'll open the door for the tiger. And it ends by asking you, so which was it? The lady of the tiger, you know, it has no ending. It sort of asks you to figure out for yourself what you would want. Fun. My favorite detail though, is that Frank Stockton wrote a different story later, a follow-up to lady of the tiger that is called the discourager of hesitancy. Excellent title. And it's about a bunch of friends who hear the story of the lady of the tiger and go find this priest who supposedly was there and knew what happened. And so they like find him that's like this mountain and ask him like, so which, which was it later the tiger? And the guy tells them a different story that also has a cliffhanger ending that's not resolved. And it's like, this guy had one move and he just like went back to it over and over. And I fucking yeah, love it. I, that, that's like, like your thing. It's a was cash it grab. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah, right. <laughs> just like make a meal of it. Like that's what you like to do if you like to, to not resolve your stories and people are eating up. Fucking go to the bank, man. Another great. I mean, that's another reference that shows up constantly in you know The Simpsons and their kinds of cartoons like that. You see Lee and Tiger all the time. Let's hear some more. What else you got? Uh, I have to look up the author's name because I don't remember yet. Sure. 
The name of the story is The Yellow Wallpaper. You read this? Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Charlotte Perkins Stetson. Yeah, a great story. You ever ever read that? No, I don't know that one. It's about this woman. uh, I want to say it takes place in the 19th century. I can't can't remember. Yes. Maybe early 20th Mm -hmm. century. This woman who, you know, uh, has depression quote-unquote, according to that time period, which probably means she was a woman. And her husband is a doctor, and he, like, prescribes her treatment where she's supposed to, like... He basically locks her in a room, and she's supposed to get lots of sunlight and eat sandwiches every day or whatever to cure her her hysteria. And the book is... I mean, the story's written as either letters or a journal. Yeah, it's like journal entries. Journal entries. Basically, she just slowly goes crazy because there's nothing to do but watch the wallpaper peel off the wall. And she, like, sees people in it, right? There's, like, sort of, like, kind of a fantastical... Yeah, she starts like, to go... hallucination. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird... It sounds mildly familiar. It, it calls to mind a memory of a story. I'm not sure if it's a high school read or even a famous story or if I just randomly came across it, but there's... It feels like a, a famous story where there's a corpse at the end of it, like someone is forgotten in a house in a bed or something, and the hmm. there's some mental illness it's at play the same story. or I, something. I, I actually haven't read it since I was sixteen, so I don't. What know is that? That called the what in the yellow wallpaper? The, ye- the yellow wallpaper. It's a story that it, it was written in 1892 or published in 1892, and you would. You wouldn't know it from reading it if there weren't signifiers of culture. Like it's a surprisingly modern story. It feels like it belongs in like the nineteen forties. It's crazy how forward thinking it was. It's a great read. It's super fun. Yeah. It's upsetting, but it's a it's a should, brilliant should, story for I sure. Should read it again. Yeah. We should do a story club about it. All right. Dave, what about you? A Rose for Emily. That's the what I was just thinking of. That's Faulkner. Okay, yeah. Sorry, give me a se- give me a second to look through it. Yeah, this listen, may have been a story I read in high song, school. Yeah, I read that in high school, and it just came to mind. So, I, but I remember liking it. I remember nothing about it now, except for Brick when you were talking about like, the yellow wallpaper. Remind so there must be some you know thematic similarity there. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to think. I know I've read Rose for Emily too, but it's not as familiar to me. I remember it. We definitely can't uh, not mention the gift of the Magi, which I think is probably oh, the forgot about that one too. Like apex example of this genre. Uh, our category of early short stories you read to decipher how stories are written. Another example, a lot of these are plot twists that we didn't mention in our previous plot twist episode, Brick. But like Gift of the Magi, the plot twist is it's not a it's not like a gotcha surprise, like Owl Creek Bridge is like a visceral surprise or plot twist. The Gift of the Magi is like that kind of like your first lesson on irony, right? Like how could these things happen? How could it be that these two paths were so crossed? Well, and there's different types. I mean, the, the it's not a surprise to the reader, right? There's a lot of dramatic irony going on. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And the O. Henry is like, that's what an O. Henry story is, right? That's like the, right. so he became like a, a genre of his own in some ways. Did you guys read Gift of Magi in, in high school or middle school, maybe even? I don't remember when Davey I Davey didn't? No, I only know that it was uh, spoofed on the Sesame Street Christmas special from the mid-80s. <laughs> yeah. I think Gift of Magi probably has status equal to A Christmas Carol in that Every or it's a wonderful life too. That every single pop culture property has done a take on the gift of magic at some point. Yeah, though I, I do find myself referencing it sometimes, and people don't know what I'm talking about, which is weird. So really, uh, young young people. So I don't know if it's, it seems to be falling out of favor, or maybe just not right. known, known by its title. 
because it's so, yeah, so right. absorbed into other things. Right. Is that yeah. story most responsible for the, we call it the O. Henry ending? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like it become like a genre, right? That's like, that's what he did. That was his thing. And it's it fits right into that little niche. Similar to what we said with Frank Stockton. If you do your thing well, and people like it, keep giving it to him. O. Henry, I think, probably is a, a better writer than Frank Stockton. But certainly, you know, has that niche. And if you like those O. Henry stories, there's tons of them for you to read. Would we call that his most prominent story, probably? I think so. Yeah, I would say just if for nothing else just for sheer reference quantity i just you you can't turn on tv and not see some show that has a gift of the magi riff in some episode right it's like every sitcom did some version of this at some point again i think because you read it in high school or middle school and learn what irony is and if you're a storyteller you're like great i'm gonna file this away and have it in my head forever this is what irony is to me brick any more others to the list yeah. here yeah i got one more uh which is please the things they carried, which specifically the honestly been so long. Is it broken out as stories or there's just chunks? I can't remember. There are stories, yeah. Yeah. So that's the main that story. Or like one the... of the stories is the things they carried, right? And, uh, yeah. So yes. That, yeah. I remember really liking that story when I read it in yeah. like tenth grade or whatever, and, and kind of probably fueled my interest in reading kind of postmodern writing. Mm. I, I would say I think you know there's. The way that story is structured, the way it's it's just kind of written, is very appealing to me. Even though it's there's a lot of kind of hard things to stomach in that story uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just I'm glad I read that book and or that story. I don't think I read the book. I think we just read that story. I've since read the book. Yeah, right. It's just you know, and Vietnam is not a thing that I'm interested in in reading really, but uh, reading right. about. But uh, that story in particular is there's there's something really kind of special about it. Man, such a, I mean, it's such a good collection. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The collection's great. It's also a good lesson for young readers in terms of, like, form, right? Because it does some stuff with form. And it, I think that, like what you said, Brick, it's the first thing you read that makes you think, like, I could write something like this. Like, I, have, I could have that idea, right? You maybe haven't been to war. But the idea of, like, look what you can do. Look at what, like, fiction can be or look like or feel like. It, it turns you on that way. That's definitely one that that maybe want to write too. Yeah, absolutely. Dave, any more from you? I don't think so. Like as you guys keep talking, like other ones come to mind that I, <laughs> that I didn't read, but I can't think of anything offhand now. Makes me want to go buy like a second or third hand English anthology, like on eBay or something like that and just read it for fun. Like just, I, some of these stories are, and I'm thinking now about how much I prefer short fiction. That's what I, you know, did my, degree and we were at emerson it's what i prefer to write and never had a feeling for any longer fiction and probably part of that is because i learned reading from these stories and i learned the effect of them and, and sort of really enjoyed what i got from them and want to replicate that in my own work too the last one i'll mention is the one that kind of similar to what brick just mentioned the things we carried is what we consider a transition story not to diminish the other stories like scarlet ibis and lady the tiger and gift of the magi and so forth but they're like they're good early reads but then there's a more sophisticated version of american short fiction that you get to later i think things we carried is a great example of that another one is bartleby the scrivener which you know made a huge impact on me we discussed a whole episode of it uh, in our old canon or canon series <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but that was the one that you know showed me the potential of short fiction right it's such a sphinx of a story and also so modern and and you know way ahead of its time that it just gives you as a young reader and somebody maybe has thought about wanting to write this 
it's not even a roadmap, just like the idea of like you could do wild stuff. Like you can you can break those. It doesn't have to be Gift of Magi, right? And I would be if I could write that story, I would be so lucky if I could write Gift of Magi or even a lesser version of that. But Bartleby is like, no, you can you can really dig into like complicated stuff if you want to, if if you're capable of it. And it's a story that, you know, it's one of my favorite pieces of literature ever. So I couldn't couldn't end the episode without giving a hat tip to good old Bartleby and his refusal to do anything and then die. Listeners, tell us your anthology favorites. I would, I kind of want to, like I said, I might, I might buy an anthology just to read it <laughs> because I'm getting the itch now. But what are some favorites we haven't mentioned? Things that you read in your old readers that you wanted to call our attention to? Let us know. Email us at yakbabiespodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash yakbabies, where we're doing all kinds of fun stuff there for a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. That's definitely less than the cost of a used anthology or more, I guess. Yeah, more than the cost of a used anthology probably. Well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, $12 a month or a year. Get access to all kinds of fun happening there. Games, bro to bro conversations, secrets revealed that should not be revealed. It's all happening there. If you ever wondered what happens when the fellows record a podcast and the first five minutes are taken up by fucking up the sponsor and then talking about radishes, patreon.com so you can find that information mm-hmm. we also have a merch shop tinyurl.com slash jackbabies where we can get posters and uh, mugs and t-shirts designed by brick and they're all really funny and they refer to those inside jokes you get for instance when you subscribe to the patreon so it all you know works out itself until then yak babies yakking off the yak babies would like to thank all the loyal listeners and especially their patrons both past and present including michael Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, Gilbert, and William Howard Taft. (laughs) 